Ready to start talking to your kids about financial literacy? Meet Greenlight, the debit card and money app that teaches kids and teens how to earn, save, spend wisely, and invest with your guardrails in place. Parents can send instant money transfers, automate allowance, and more. Plus, keep an eye on spending with real-time notifications. Join more than 6 million families building healthy financial habits together on Greenlight. Get your first month free at greenlight.com slash odyssey. That's greenlight.com slash odyssey. Imagination is one thing, but you can't really imagine bite marks. You can't imagine things moving in the air across the room. You can't imagine things being bent and broken right in front of you. It's one thing to say imagination if it's just one person. But when you have 40, 50, 60 people who all have had experiences and can attest to it, it's hard to say imagination at that point. Thirty-four oh six Brownsville Road in the borough of Brentwood, Pennsylvania, doesn't look like the scene of a battle. It's a majestic three-story house built at the turn of the 20th century that sits back from the street along the main road through this small suburb just south of Pittsburgh. But according to the man you are about to meet, something hidden deep within the walls of this house tormented him and his family for more than 15 years. Their ordeal reads like the script to a horror film and the struggle to rid the house of the mysterious evil that haunted it would test the limits of their determination and faith. I'm Steve French, and this is Unsolved Mysteries, The Haunting on Brownsville Road. My name is Bob Cranmer. My house at 3406 Brownsville Road was possessed by a demonic entity. Bob Cranmer has lived most of his life in Brentwood, Pennsylvania. He grew up there during the 1950s and 60s in a modest suburban house, the youngest child in a typical middle-class family. The house at 3406 Brownsville Road captured his imagination from a very young age. My memories of the house go back to the time when I was in school, seven years old, eight years old. I had friends that lived on the other side of town where the house is, as opposed to where I grew up. This house was built back at the turn of the century when people still had servants and servants' quarters, kind of reminiscent of a southern mansion. The look of the house, the setting of the house, it just kind of screams history and historic. I was always intrigued. I never could walk by that house without stopping and looking at it and wanting to see in it and go in it. In 1978, Bob graduated from nearby Duquesne University, then headed to Fort Campbell, Kentucky to become an Army intelligence officer. His successful military career saw him rise to the rank of major, but 10 years later, a family tragedy forced Bob to return home to Brentwood. I had an older brother who was killed in a car accident that really affected my parents. 
pretty tragically, I decided to leave the Army and come home. So 10 years later, in 1988, I came back with a large moving truck, a wife, and four children. And interestingly enough, my dream house was coming on the market, which I thought was not a coincidence. Bob can't believe his luck and immediately arranges a tour with the owners. He spent years imagining what the inside of his dream home looks like. And when he finally walks through the front door, he's not disappointed. When you walk into a house like that, it's impressive. You have these large, giant rooms with 10-foot ceilings and oak woodwork, grand staircase, big foyer, an open area above the foyer. It had a pantry where food would be prepared and served with a window into the kitchen, a servant's staircase, dining room that was equipped with a servant's bell. I felt the walls just exuded history and I was convinced I was going to be a historic figure as well. So it was everything that I thought it would be and then some. Bob's captivated by the home's aura of success and status. His wife, however, does not share Bob's infatuation. She finds the house creepy and something seems off about the couple giving the tour. They seemed somewhat on edge. And the woman was a little peculiar. It was like she was trying to be nice, but she somewhat had reservations on us even being there. We were in the basement and they were showing us this large gas furnace. We had taken our two older children with us, my daughter who was four years old at the time and my son Bobby who was three. And I looked and I noticed only our daughter was with us. Where had three-year-old Bobby disappeared to? No one noticed him wander off. They begin to search the massive house when suddenly a child's high-pitched scream pierces the air. They found him on the steps going up to the second floor on the landing halfway up. He was standing there trembling. So the woman rushed up the steps and embraced him and said, oh, honey, what's the matter? Did you see something? What, what was that supposed to mean? You know, did you see something? What would he have seen? Bob's wife is unsettled by the incident and doesn't want to live in the house. But Bob fell in love with it the moment he walked through the door. He has to have it. To Bob's surprise, the owners accept his first offer with no negotiation. And on December 12, 1988, the Cranmer family move into their new home. Almost immediately, Bob notices something strange in a large walk-in closet underneath the main staircase. Inside is a simple pull-chain light with a persistent and odd quirk. The closet was dark and I would reach for this light and I could never find the chain. And the chain was always either wrapped around the shade of the light or it would be meticulously wrapped around several of the little screws that hold the shade to the light fixture. 
There were times when I would turn the light out and go back not five minutes later, and it would be wrapped around the light that quickly. And that continued. Something was going on. The pull chain in the closet isn't the only odd thing about the Cranmers' new home. Within weeks of moving in, weird occurrences start to happen regularly. You know, we'd come down in the morning and all the lights would be on on the first floor. Water would be running in the sink. In my basement, one of the rooms where the furnace was, was a workshop I had. I'd go in the morning, the lights would be on. The radio would always be turned on. We knew there was some type of spiritual activity taking place in the house. You know, old house, there's a ghost here. So once we got past being freaked out by some of the things it did and it became somewhat routine, it didn't seem threatening, and we just thought we could learn to live with it. I lived there probably 15, 16 years, and it was definitely an experience growing up there and living there. Bobby Cranmer Jr. was only three years old when his family started living on Brownsville Road. He has no memory of what scared him when they first toured the house, but eerie encounters were frighteningly common during his childhood. It's always hard to describe to people what it's like living with something like this happening. Lights flickering on and off, doors opening and closing, banging on the walls. It doesn't seem like a big deal to hear it, but when you have a door completely shut and the doorknob turns and the door opens halfway, not all the way, halfway, and then it slowly slams itself shut, And you have stuff like this happening all the time. I mean, day in and day out for years. It becomes hard to say, oh, that's just the wind or that's just bad wiring. You know, it really starts to get to you. Bobby isn't the only one frightened by the home's paranormal antics. His siblings are creeped out as well. Almost every day I'd wake up with at least one or two of them in bed with me that would come during the night. They talked of knocking on the doors and scratching on the walls and a whole number of creepy things that would happen in their bedrooms. After a month or two in the house and this paranormal activity taking place, I thought, well, okay, let's let's have a priest here and see if that can take care of it. I remember the priest walking through all the different rooms. He kind of said a little prayer and then walked through the house with a bottle of holy water, blessing all of the different rooms. Did the whole first floor, made it up to the second floor. And I remember walking from my brother's bedroom down the hallway to my bedroom. And for whatever reason, I stood in the doorway, blocking the door to my room. Kind of made an X shape with my body inside the door jam so they couldn't get in. This little three-year-old boy stood in the doorway put his body in the form of an X, looked the priest in the eye and said, you can't come in this room. Something told him not to let that priest in that room. Bobby's bedroom is on the second floor, a spacious room covered with distinctive blue wallpaper. There's something about the room that scares him from the very start. I remember being terrified of my room 
I'd go into the room and kind of scurry along the wall till I would get to the closet and I would just basically stay in there. It was a big walk-in closet and I had a little mattress on the floor and I had a little radio and I'd sleep in the closet with the lights on. I probably stayed in the closet for a couple years. Bobby doesn't know why his room always filled him with dread, but he seemed especially prone to having paranormal encounters. On a day he stayed home sick from school, a vivid and terrifying experience gave shape to Bobby's fears. So I was in fourth or fifth grade. My bedroom was at the front of the house so I could see the driveway. And I remember seeing my mom's minivan leaving, taking my brothers and my sister to school. As soon as she pulled out of the driveway, I started hearing a noise, kind of like if you were to take a set of bagpipes and hook it up to like a guitar distortion. It slowly started getting louder and louder and louder. And I had this feeling that something was coming towards the room. I'm looking at the door, listening to this noise and this figure rushed past the door. It looked like it was wearing a cloak, an all black cloak, put on, I couldn't see a face or anything. And then it came back and it just stood in my doorway. Obviously I'm terrified. And I pulled the blankets up over my head. The blankets ripped out of my hand, flew to my feet, folded at the foot of the bed. And I'm laying there looking at the ceiling now. And directly above me is another figure that looks like a human body if you turn it into a light bulb. I couldn't see the ceiling because of how bright this thing was. And I remember I closed my eyes and I screamed. And it all stopped. That was my first real experience that I had. The chilling encounter leaves Bobby deeply shaken, and he doesn't tell anyone about the incident for several months. But over time, the dark entity reveals itself to other people in the house. My brother David saw it one afternoon. He was laying in the living room on the couch watching TV, and he saw it walk through the dining room into the kitchen. And it startled him enough that he stood up and ran into the kitchen and asked my mom, who just walked in here? And she looked at him like, who, who are you talking about? Nobody here, it's just me. And he said, I just saw some big guy wearing a hood come walking in here. What is this hulking black clad entity? Is it the source of the Cranmer's paranormal experiences? Or are there other forces in the home as well? The family doesn't know, but a curious discovery Bob made a year after moving in suggests that the previous owners also dealt with haunted activity. I was out at the corner of the property at the end of the driveway planting some flowers, and my shovel dug down six inches or so and it hit a metal box. And I found inside it a Catholic scapular and some other religious medals that were buried in this box. 
So I went inside later and I called up the guy who had sold us the house. And I said, I found this box. Can you tell me something about it? And his voice got quiet, very serious. He said, please, just put it back where you found it. Bury it. Don't ask me anything else. Bob follows the man's advice. And for many years, his family simply tries to settle into the community while coexisting with the spirits haunting their home. Bob focuses initially on his job with the AT&T Corporation, but he also has political aspirations. He wins a seat on the Brentwood City Council in 1991 and is elected Allegheny County Commissioner only a few years later. The Cranmers keep their eerie encounters to themselves, but over time, the paranormal activity begins to escalate. As we lived in the house and the years went by into the 1990s, the activity continuously began to increase and increase. It was no longer the kind of benign activity that we had experienced for years. It became very aggressive in your face. You know, furniture being moved, pictures being hung sideways on the walls, stuff flying through the air. My wife had a full mental breakdown, was hospitalized for several weeks. It was pretty bad. Hey, Unsolved Mysteries listeners. I'm here to tell you that there's no reason to panic the next time you're searching for the perfect gift. Now you can use Gift Mode on Etsy. Gift Mode on Etsy takes the stress out of gifting, so you can find the perfect item for anyone and any occasion. It's easy. Just tap or click Gift Mode on your Etsy app or Etsy.com. Then answer a few short questions about who you're shopping for and what they like. And Gift Mode instantly gives you curated gift ideas based on hundreds of personas. There's a lot of pressure around gifting. I usually have a hard time thinking of gift ideas for family members, and sometimes I get super stressed trying to find the perfect thing. But now with Gift Mode on Etsy, I can search hundreds of gifting personas and find so many incredible items. And I actually just found the perfect gift for my fitness fanatic sister. Now it's simple to find gifts made by independent sellers for all the people in your life. So whether you need a housewarming gift for the new homeowner or a birthday present for the pickleballer, Gift Mode has you covered. Need to find the perfect gift? Don't panic. Try Gift Mode on Etsy now. If you're shopping while working, eating, or even listening to this podcast, then you know and love the thrill of the hunt. But are you getting the thrill of the best deals? Rakuten shoppers do. They get the brands they love with the most savings and cash back. And you can get it too. Start getting cash back at your favorite stores like Nike, Petco, and Neiman Marcus. And even stack sales on top of cash back. It's easy to use and you get your cash back through PayPal or check. The idea is simple. Stores pay Rakuten for sending them shoppers. And Rakuten shares the money with you as cash back. Download the free Rakuten app and never miss a deal. Or go to Rakuten.com to start getting the most bang for your buck. That's R-A-K-U-T-E-N. Bob's children are also affected by the strain from always living with the threat of these frightening episodes. We would all have night terrors. Now, a night terror is pretty much you wake up in the middle of the night and can't move. You have this sense of impending doom. My brother had night terrors a lot. My sister did. We all have one or two friends that had a sleepover and something happened and, you know, they decided they, they just weren't going to come back. 
out of me, my two brothers, and my sister. It seemed to mess with me more than them. I remember waking up in the middle of the night, couldn't move, and I remember something grabbed me by my feet, pulled me out of the bed, and dragged me out into the hallway. The entities responsible for terrorizing the Cranmers' home are almost always unseen. However, one member of their family seems to have a unique ability to sense their presence. Sandy, our dog, he knew where this thing was. I don't know if he could see it or if he could just sense it, but he was kind of like a hunting dog because you'd see him standing in a room by himself staring at a corner or he'd be barking into a hallway that nobody was in. One day, Sandy is engaged in what Bob calls his terminal stare when Bob happens to wander by with a camera and decides to take a picture. After the film was developed, you can see this smoky skeleton-like figure that's between me and him. I can't see it, but the camera can see it. I can't see it, but the dog could see it. It just, it was, it was odd. Could the smoky apparition in the photograph be a manifestation of the dark hooded entity? Or do many spirits claim 3406 Brownsville Road as their home? The rising level of eerie activity is more than enough to make most people pack up and leave. But Bob Cranmer isn't most people. It's a house that I had been attracted to all of my life. I wanted this house. I loved this house. Quite frankly, I wasn't going to be pushed out of it or scared out of it by anything without a fight. I had faith that if this, in fact, was an evil entity or evil force, that it could, in fact, be overcome by good. I wasn't sure exactly how that would occur, but this was our house. This was our home. We were going to deal with it, and that was it. If I had the option, it would have been to move. I got to the point when I was a teenager where I just never wanted to be in the house. You know, I would go and stay at a friend's house for as long as I could. And I spent a lot of time at my girlfriend's house. It's just, you know, you got to the point you just didn't want to be there anymore. And that's what I always felt like its tactic was to break you down mentally so it can harm or infiltrate you spiritually. By 2001, the Cranmers have been tormented by bizarre and frightening episodes for over a decade, and their home is descending into chaos. Bob's teenage daughter becomes pregnant, and the baby's father moves in with the family to help care for the newborn. When Bob's mother passes away, they're forced to suddenly take in his 88-year-old aunt. Now in high school, Bobby has become increasingly rude and withdrawn, and his personality has taken a dark turn. He was drawn into the goth lifestyle where they wore black clothes and black eyeliner and dyed their hair black and wore black fingernail polish. And he had a, a very explosive personality at that point. He really didn't know what he was going to do. And I can only think that it was fueled and fed by the evil in the house. Could the malicious forces terrorizing Bob's home be controlling his oldest son's ominous transformation? Bobby claims he never felt possessed, 
but there is one incident that leaves him open to the possibility. One night in 2003, a trivial argument between Bobby and his father almost immediately boils over into a violent conflict. I was standing in the dining room in front of the kitchen. He came down the steps towards me and I punched him. And I hit him so hard, he went through the dining room, through the foyer, and ended up on the floor in front of the front door. And I've never been able to explain how I was able to hit him so hard that he literally ended up on the other side of the house. I can't figure that out. Had Bobby's sudden rage and strength been some form of demonic possession? Both he and his father believed something malicious was behind the rapid escalation into a physical fight. The fallout from the incident strikes a massive blow against Bob, far greater than the one delivered by his son's fist. It ended up with me being arrested, being banished from the house for several months. It was in the media all across the state. It was terrible, terrible situation. Also, the morning after the fight, the Cranmer family makes a shocking discovery. We had an elderly aunt that had moved in with us. My wife found the aunt in her bed the next morning, and she had expired. She died. Was it just coincidence? Or was the fight with his son and the sudden death of Bob's aunt orchestrated by the malicious forces plaguing his home? Shortly after Bob moves back in, a terrifying incident makes it clear to him that whatever is causing the activity won't stop until the Cranmers are driven out. One day, my son was in his bedroom after school, and he heard a loud pop in the corner of the room. He heard something whiz by his head, and what it was was a, a music CD. This hit the plaster wall with such force and velocity that it actually shattered into shards. It hit the wall so hard. With that, I realized this is dangerous. This is a dangerous situation now. I mean, had that hit him, it most likely could have killed him. So that was the first event that then caused me to seek help. And he'd say, okay, well, who are you gonna call? You know, the famous question, who are you gonna call? Desperate for guidance, Bob reaches out to the Catholic Diocese of Pittsburgh. The church believes Bob's house may be experiencing a demonic infestation. Specially trained assessors are sent to 3406 Brownsville Road to investigate. I thought priests would come and either say mass or say prayers or do some type of a ritual, talk in Latin and pray, and it would be over. To my surprise, I was told from the very beginning that this was going to be a long process. And they weren't sure if they were even going to be able to deal with it. It was that bad. To Bob's shock and dismay, he's told it will take at least a year before they know if the process is working. Priests experienced with exorcisms are sent from the diocese weekly to try and cleanse the Cranmer's house of evil. Sometimes they'd come and say mass and leave. Sometimes they'd say the rosary. Sometimes they'd go through and bless the house. There was a process that they went through over and over again. This thing would kind of have a temper tantrum after they left. Things would get worse. You know, the furniture would move, the pictures would move. It was like living with the invisible man. 
Bob continues to battle the demon on the days the priests aren't there. He spends hours searching the house, trying to track down the unseen entity. Even though I couldn't see it, I could smell it. It would give off this very pungent stench of burning rubber. And I could only smell this smell when I was right next to the thing. Sometimes my wife would be with me and she would say, you know, it's over here now. You know, it moved. Here it is. It's here. It's in the corner. You know, I'd go to the corner and I'd hit it with holy water. What we were trying to accomplish was just to dominate it, to make it leave. And this would happen almost on a nightly basis. This was just part of the process, part of the battle, part of the test of wills of who possessed this house. Did it own the house or did I own the house? But the evil in Bob's home has no intention of leaving. It uses increasingly sinister tactics to try and force the family out. When things were really bad and really crazy, something was happening every day. There was an experience with my brother-in-law and sister. They had lived with us for a period of time while the exorcism and everything was going on. My brother-in-law went into the kid's room to say goodnight, and he saw that cloaked figure standing over one of the kid's cribs. My dad moved my sister and them out of the house into their own apartment, and they started having issues at the apartment to the point where we even had mass down at their house a couple of times. But the demon's most aggressive displays are reserved for Bob and his son. You'd wake up in the morning and it looked like you got attacked with a razor blade. It would either be your stomach or your back, real deep cuts, and it would always be in three, kind of like a claw. For a time, the church even had me and my dad wear matching crucifixes that were blessed because of how often it was happening to us. We'd wake up and it'd be on the other side of the room on the floor, broken, folded in half. I can't tell you how many crucifixes we went through. One morning, I woke up, went downstairs for breakfast. I'm walking through the kitchen. I don't have my shirt on and my mom gasped and here I had this huge bite mark on my side. And I didn't even feel it until she pointed it out to me. And then after she pointed it out, it started feeling like it was burning. Knowing how to speak and understand a new language can be an invaluable tool when traveling, meeting new friends, or just even to master a new skill. But it's not always simple when you're bogged down by textbooks and structure classes. That's why so many people trust Rosetta Stone. Rosetta Stone is the most trusted language learning program available on desktop or as an app. It truly immerses you in the language you want to learn, like Spanish, French, Italian, Chinese, and more. You won't just be studying English translations. The Rosetta Stone intuitive process helps you pick up a language naturally, first with words, then phrases, then sentences. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com rs10. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com rs10 today. Want to teach your kids financial literacy but not sure where to start? Greenlight can help. With Greenlight, parents can keep an eye on kids' spending and saving, while kids and teens use a card of their own to build money confidence. 
As a parent, you can send instant money transfers, set up chores, automate allowance, and more. It's a convenient way to run your household, customized to your family's needs, and the easy way to raise financially smart kids. Get started with Greenlight today and get your first month free at greenlight.com slash odyssey. Bob's nonstop efforts to fight the demon seem to only provoke it and subject his family to its wrath. He begins to question if the fight to stay in his dream home is a battle he can win. In a year, we weren't making any progress. In fact, things had gotten much worse. And if I was ever close to leaving the house, it was a year later. It just went on and on and on. You know, the nightly battles in the room, the masses, the events that took place at the same time, we're trying to live there. I really didn't want to come home from work because I knew what I was going to face when I went home. I could see that it was really stressing him out. You know, he looked at it as it's, it's his house. He's not leaving. It's his family. He's going to protect them. He was very determined to see it through. As the long battle to control Bob's house escalates, the Catholic priests turn to another powerful weapon in their arsenal, a woman named Connie Valenti. Connie Valente is a Catholic psychic intuitive that the church used as a guide through this process. She would tell us about this demonic entity and what it was going to do, if it was weak, if it was strong, and what was going to take place. She told us months before it happened that we would reach a point in time when blood would drip from the walls of the house. And that, in fact, took place. Blood would cover the walls. It would appear on the floor in puddles. I had it tested by several different laboratories. It wasn't real blood. It certainly looked like blood, but they never were able to determine what it really was. Connie also receives visions of past events, many of which suggest that 3406 Brownsville Road may have been cursed from the very beginning. I was told that in 1792, there was a log house on the site, long before the current house was built. There was a, a war with the Native Americans, and a mother and her three children were killed on site by a raiding party and eventually buried in what became the front yard of my house. Connie's visions also reveal that during the 1920s and 30s, the home's owners had allowed a pediatrician from Pittsburgh to use the property for a side business, performing illegal abortions. Connie claims the procedures took place in a bedroom with blue wallpaper that she calls the Blue Room. Bobby, my oldest son, the Blue Room ended up being his bedroom, and there were some uh, bad vibes associated with that room. Bob eventually decides to research the details of Connie's visions, and he's astonished by their accuracy. My research was really done to verify what she had told me. This doctor apparently walked with a limp. He wore white gloves. He wore a black bowler hat. He was an alcoholic. I would talk to people who knew him personally and every one of those details was verified. She was right. 
During his research, Bob also discovers an old letter in the National Archives detailing the deadly raid that Connie described that had claimed the lives of a mother and her three children. I had all this historical documentation that backed up the story that I had been told. I had the gravesite, I had names, I had dates. I hired a, a ground penetrating radar company. They scanned the ground, they verified that it was in fact a grave and that yes, four people were buried there. It was astonishing. My reaction to it was, you know, of course there are bodies buried in the front yard. Why wouldn't there be bodies buried in the front yard? You know, to me, it just made sense. Like, yep, bodies, front yard's been a graveyard this whole time. Is the demon that resides at 3406 Brownsville Road some spirit from the home's tragic past? Or is the land that the house is built on the source of the paranormal activity? Wherever this evil force came from, Bob needs to know how to get rid of it. Early in 2005, he receives an important clue from a psychic in Gettysburg, Pennsylvania. She said, there is a void in the center of the house. There is a space in the center of the house. This is where the thing, it's its lair, so to speak. And you have to flush it out of its lair. Bob thinks he may know where the void in the psychic's vision is located. The house had been built with a small, inaccessible space under the main staircase behind the wall at the back of the coat closet, the one with the pull chain light that has taunted Bob since he first moved into the house. So I got a saw and cut through the plaster wall in the rear of that closet this area that had been literally closed off since the house was built in 1909. No way in there. I mean, it was plaster walls, oak staircase, not even a crack. Inside the sealed space are several random objects. There's a large piece of amber, two playing cards, a crumpled up piece of paper, and the skeleton of a dead bird. There are also some items that Bob finds exceptionally unnerving. There were at least one or two pieces of Lego blocks that we can only imagine came from my son's Lego collection. This space was all plaster walls, no cracks to push anything in there. It was completely closed off, but yet there were Lego pieces in that space. How had his son's toys and the other items ended up in a hidden space that was sealed off for nearly 100 years? Bob has no plausible earthly answer, but the discovery of what he believes is the demon's lair marks a turning point in the battle to force the evil presence from his home. Once we accessed that space, we got into its house, so to speak. I put a crucifix and blessed candles and different things in that space to bless it. And this thing was upset. It tried to terrorize us and do all types of magic act, so to speak. What that taught me was that I could do things to affect it. I tried to make our house as miserable a place to be for it as it had tried to make for us. In addition to the regular masses and blessings at the house, Bob tries creative ways to drive the demon out. In the coat closet, 
he attaches a rosary to the pull chain of the light, and in the blue room, he plays the movie The Passion of the Christ on repeat 24 hours a day. Nearly four years into the battle, the Catholic Church even sends a world-renowned exorcist to perform an intense three-hour ritual. Afterwards, the activity in the home appears to have mostly stopped, but not completely. I could tell after the exorcism, the only place it would show evidence of its presence was in the basement. I actually saw it one time. I was doing something with the hot water heater and I saw it go right past me. On February 24th, 2006, Father Mike Salvagna, one of the priests who battled the demon with the Cranmers from the beginning, arrives to lead the family through another ritual cleansing. The first mass takes place on the top floor of the house. We were walking from the third floor back down to the second floor. And Sandy, our dog, was at the bottom of the steps on the first floor, barking and going nuts. By this point, everybody knew that Sandy could sense this thing. And he kind of led us to the kitchen. And he was standing at the top of the basement steps, barking. As we're walking down the basement steps into the basement, you could smell it. We got to where the odor was the strongest, and we started doing the prayer routine. The Mass is mostly uneventful, but as Father Mike performs the consecration, Bob notices a knocking sound coming from a nearby wall. We went through the Mass, and when it was over, I said, what about that knocking? During that point, the dog walks back to a separate room that had once been used to store the coal for the coal furnace. And he went into his terminal stair looking into the coal room. Believing they now have the entity cornered, Bob and Father Mike make a relentless final push to claim the home from the demon. The tension in the room is palpable, with everyone waiting nervously for a sign that the battle is won. We went through a long process of demanding that it was to leave, that it was over. And I expected when it would finally be done some loud lightning or thunder or some such thing, but I could tell that this thing was just finally exhausted, like a fire that burned itself out. A very, very strong smell of roses kind of filled the basement where we were. And you just kind of knew then and there that it was done. You could feel it. It was like a weight lifted off the room. A strange peace came over me, and I looked at Father Mike, and I said, it's over. It's done. And it was. There was a battle fought there for uh, good against evil, and good prevailed. Could the evil entity that terrorized 3406 Brownsville Road have been an actual demon? No one will ever know for sure. But even though whatever plagued the house appears to finally be gone, the Cranmer family remains haunted by the nightmares they lived through for so many years. I think it's somewhat defined all of us, who we are and how we act today. It's not easy to talk about with people because you never know what someone's reaction is going to be. It's either you're nuts 
or they share their own personal paranormal story with you. How that thing ended up on that piece of property or how the whole timeline of events and story, I don't know. I don't know. I don't think this is something you could ever make sense of. The Cranmer family has stood by their incredible story, even in the face of skeptics who question what, if anything, they actually experienced. Bob maintains his accounts of paranormal events have been verified by dozens of credible witnesses, including priests and the Catholic Church. While his critics may claim otherwise, Bob Cranmer has no doubt that the demon he battled was very real, and he has chronicled his family's experiences in his book, The Demon of Brownsville Road. I've had one foot in the supernatural world. I've been there. I've dealt with it. It's real. Evil wants you to believe it doesn't exist. I'm telling you, there's a God, there's a devil, there are angels, there are demons. Take it for face value. It's all true. After many years of renovations, Bob Cranmer converted his house at 3406 Brownsville Road into a bed and breakfast. Hundreds of guests have stayed there without incident since it opened in 2019. But Bob isn't taking any chances. He has a firm policy that no ghost hunters or paranormal researchers will ever be allowed to visit. Do you believe you've lived in a haunted house? If so, share your story with us at unsolved.com. Next on Unsolved Mysteries. So at one point, the army was suggesting that perhaps these guys went out there, they took some LSD, they got too high, and they lost control. And who knows what happened after that? When my brother's remains washed up, the theory that the investigators had was that he drowned and his body had gone through a boat propeller. If we could have had a full body, maybe it wouldn't be so hard. Unsolved Mysteries is a production of Cosgrove Mirror Productions and Cadence 13, an Odyssey company. It is executive produced by Terry Dunmuir and Chris Corcoran. Produced by Christine Lenig, Courtney Ennis, and Bill Schultz. The story producer for this episode was Caitlin Cutt, and it was edited by Keith Shea. From Cadence 13, editing, mixing, and mastering by Chris Basil and Andy Jaskowitz. Production support by Sean Cherry, Ian Mont, and Ava Fenneberger. Artwork and design is by Kirk Courtney. Publicity by Maura Curran, Josephina Francis, and Hilary Schuff. The original theme music was composed by Gary Malkin and Michael Boyd. Thanks for listening to episode 66 of Unsolved Mysteries. <laughs>